You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app. Hello and welcome to the Marketing Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Berberich. We're back for part two of my conversation with Sports Biz CEO and founder, Steve Feuerstein. Today, we round out our conversation on the state and future of sponsorship marketing by discussing how marketers can detach themselves from the emotional payoff that comes from sponsorship activations and why ROI might not be the right KPI for measuring sponsorship success. Let's start the show. When you're putting this strategy together, obviously, we've been talking for a while about how you've got to go beyond the feeling, but in one of the tenets of sports biz is that good strategic sponsorship marketing goes beyond data. And so what is this realm? The, you know, this, this, you've got, everybody is more than happy to bring you to the best sponsorship opportunity you've ever encountered. You know the feeling you get when an event goes right. You know the feeling you get when an event goes poorly. But we're back to this, you know, the matchmaking, the maximization, and the measurement that all ties into a great strategy. How do you approach the strategy and how do you take a beyond data approach to it? Yeah, that's that's really interesting and it's really complicated. And you got to be very patient and you've got to understand your your brand so well that you're, you know, Mark Pritchard, CMO of, of Procter & Gamble, said it beautifully, I think, at the Can Leon Festival two years ago. And I, I really appreciate how he reflected it. What I took away from his comment was were twofold uh, insights. Number one, we, and I think they had at the time, don't quote me, but I believe 150 to 160 brands. Sounds and right. his comment was, we got to re-own our brands, man. We got a problem. We don't own the analytics and we're sitting where we're just being served, where some third party comes to us and says, well, we recommend these three options for your creative, or here's a sponsorship opportunity. And we think these are the three best. Well, I can tell you factually, a human being individually in today's world cannot individually determine what is the best fit. It's just not possible. Obviously. For the vast yeah. majority of the time, Absolutely. you might have an outlier once in a blue moon, but for the most part, without elite technology that is delightful and user friendly and driven by the KPIs of the brand, to your question, if my KPIs plus plus don't drive what opportunities I have in sponsorship, then I am really flying blind. And if, and if I don't have the ability in real time to look at, I've got this budget for a campaign in San Francisco, and I've got that target market in San Francisco, but in Boston, I have a different budget and a different target market, slightly different than the one I have in San Francisco. I can't deploy the same campaign in the two cities. It's not going to work effectively. Yeah. So what I have to be able to do is have a platform where I can actually really own my decision-making and own in a very, very graphically user-friendly driven way, this sense of I own this journey. And until brands, I think again, if I'm correct, I believe it was two, maybe 36 months ago, two years or 36 months ago, where Mark Pritchard made this comment. And it resonated so deeply with me that 
Because remember, let's go back to the beginning. We said that sports marketing is one tool. But think about this. There are brands that have Procter & Gamble, when I met with one of their, their heads of global sponsorship, and he said to me, you know, we have, I believe he has now about 70 NFL players. And they sponsor the Winter Games Olympics. They sponsor the Summer Games Olympics. They sponsor, they sponsor all MLS, which was a big decision they made. And they got a very unique sponsorship uh, engagement with the MLS, which is really clever on how it reflects itself uh, in stadium, as an example. Uh, and obviously, the social impact that they were trying to achieve with that sponsorship. But I think when you look, ultimately, there's this enormous pressure on a marketer that I don't just have, first of all, just one once a year activity. I'm doing a lot of sponsorships. We sponsored that Taylor Swift concert. We were in, engaged with a rapper. We were engaged with all the arts. We were enjoyed, engaged in our, in our charitable spendings and our social impact, social responsibility engagements. I'm trying to work with our media buying teams to get make sure that all of our digital and our legacy media is covered. So the ability to stop the train, which, which is ultimately the clarion call for anyone who's, who's overseeing a budget and deploying a team to execute, is you've, you've got to first take the ego out of it. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you've got to empower the team to try to train them to think in the most objective fashion. So I will never be driven because LeBron is LeBron. Because I could ask you, Michael, a very simple question. How many endorsements does LeBron have? Oh, my goodness. I, I, as, I think one for every day of the year, at least. Okay. So, and I'm sure you're right. On the sports side, just the straight official partners where he's endorsing those brands. The last time I checked, he had about 12 or 13. Gotcha, but gotcha, gotcha. LeBron has how many charities? He's got his own TV production company, a media group. Mm -hmm. The man has a, a group of, of, that he's tethered to in family, his son, and the news he's making, and the coverage that gets shifted from the sponsor over to all the family members that are getting share of real estate and media that might have gone to their sponsorship, but is being actually channeled over to some family member or friend or former high school you know, Fab Five team member when he was at St. Mary's St. Vincent. So when you look at this, we always say to people, you, the clutter that surrounds a league. I mean, when you look at the NFL, you've got about 35 to 38 official partners. So if we all have relatively similar target markets, how the heck can I stand out above and beyond 35 other companies? Such a good point. Such the clutter point. index, which we have created, the clutter index is one of the most important variables of decision-making that I believe in as a sports marketer. And most of the clients with which I've worked traditionally do not look at that as the first line of entry. They'll say, what's the price? How much does this cost? That's a very important question. We, we, we all agree to that. But right up there is a 1A and 1B, 1A price, 1B equivalent, is how extended is that sports asset? How, how, and it's not just with other brands that are, are using in a very positive way that relationship with that team or that league or that event or that athlete, et cetera. It's, it's, we need to understand the full ecosystem of what is that athlete or that team doing and how many others are trying to express a message as a conduit, using that as a conduit. 
And that's a fascinating endeavor that many, many brands right from the get-go ignore because that means that instead of spending one to $1 ratio, meaning if the baseline was $1 spend to put my money behind an event, let's say the US Open, Tennis Open, well, you know what? If I have super brands behind it, and by the way, it's not just any brand. (laughs) I gotta know how many super brands and are opening up this war chest of money and know what they're doing. And therefore, I'm not just competing against 10 other companies or 30 other companies. I might be competing against 12 of them or 20 of them that have been doing this for 50 years at the most elite level and will spend and outspend me over and over again. And that's where many non-super brands get outflanked. They associate with a big event or a big team or a big athlete. And then they go, oh my God, we were drowned out by these much more sophisticated, heavy players with which we could never, ever compete. I want to ask one last thing before we kind of pivot to the questions that we ask all of our guests. I I think part of the challenge with properly measuring and valuating uh, sports sponsorships is that maybe our eyes are on the wrong prize. We always hear about ROI. Like, did I get back the spend in ROI? And why might that be a misnomer in the field of sponsorship? What should the focus be on instead? Well, think about it. Let's try to think about the concept again. And we really have to respect that your audience is comprised of brands of all sizes, shapes, and forms. And so when you look at it, I'll go back to what I always say is the problem in the industry is that in our industry, there is this, there are no industry standards. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, everyone is left fending for themselves. Yeah. So it comes down to this massive personality drive. I'm the brand manager, so that's Steve and Michael. Well, mm-hmm. who's my ad agency? Okay, well, my ad agency is X, Y, and Z, R, X, Y, and Z. I'm dealing with Diane over there, but my colleagues in Boston are dealing with Bill over there. So it could be the same agency. It doesn't mean I'm saying getting the same creative output. And then number three, what role is the rights owner playing? So that's another factor in this and how they enrich or not my status. But when I look at my sponsorship and and recognize this concept of ROI, well, what can I determine to be ROI? So the first thing we can do is look at, well, how many sponsors actually engage some form of point point of sale driven activity? How many sponsors are engaging in what it was there served on a silver platter? I want to gain access to more channels of distribution. Why don't I collaborate with some of my co-branded sponsors? If we are all working for this event or this, let's go back to your example, the Mets, and we have all these sponsors behind the Mets and obviously being played at City Field, all of a sudden I have a reservoir of channels of distribution to be able to gain access to, which is going to ultimately provide me an opportunity to go into one of the measurables, which is what did I do for point of sale or if I'm B2B, some element of engagement that was so proprietary, not copycatable, if you will. It's this essence that's not always being duplicated by all other sponsors that are part of that same team. And if anything in this immersive world of technology that we're in and we surf in it every day, we're building in it. Ultimately, if you look back at the trends from product 
marketing, to emotive marketing, emotional marketing, to ultimately digital and social, to this next era of this massive immersive slash quantum marketing, mm -hmm. where every human is going to be tailored to in a unique way. And we really, well, we thought that at Web 1.0, Web 1.0 back in particularly 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, we thought we were going to be able to get to that point where every human was measurable and reached on a very individual basis. I think the time has come where there is always, there will always be certain aspects of the marketing mix that can be measured. And, and, and I don't want to be, you know, too indulgent in what we're doing. So that's, you know, if anyone's interested, I'll always be happy to talk to you personally and share anything I know. But on the valuation of TV, web, and social, I think we got the secret sauce. No one's, you know, we've been told over and again, no one's ever seen it before. But usually TV and streaming and legacy and, and, and in some form social today is, is where folk have usually just said that's what can be measured. And then yeah. you have some POS activity. And obviously there are some wonderful, great examples of fast-moving consumer goods companies that have done an awesome job of understanding how to understand the lift that might have a correlative or causative relationship with a particular sports marketing exercise. And the more tailored that campaign is, the more measurable it becomes. So we get it to this big Pandora's box, which I, I, I wanna respect you know, the, the gracious time you've extended today, but ultimately you have all these other benefits of sports marketing, this, VI, this massive world of corporate hospitality, this massive world of associated tie-in events, pre-event, during event, post-event, that is really visceral to the target markets, where you might see a tennis court built in Times Square in New York City, and you have some of your super players that are associated with that particular upcoming event that have come down, and this is a very routine exercise to build a venue within a non-expected, non-traditional environment, but gets a lot of attention for a particular type of objective you might have. But these are, particularly with campaign ideation today that we can do with NLP, natural language processing, and human fusion. We believe it's a human fusion AI uh, blend. Exactly. That you're able to generate so many ideas today that, again, have to be predicated on your very personal KPIs. So measurement is, is gaining traction. But the first thing you have to look at with any group is to understand whoever's doing it for you. The first question you must ask is, did they sell me the sponsorship? Wait a minute, because that was the model for the vast majority of my career. And yeah. by the way, I owned the event. I represented the athlete. I was selling. I, the burden, the, the, the liability financially was on my shoulders. So what I had to do is make sure I didn't lose money which means I had to find the sponsors. But then what we did too is we executed the sports marketing. And then we measured, think of this, Michael, you at Verizon became my client at the Mets. I, as the sponsorship team member, sold it to you. We then did some activation with you on the sports marketing side. Then I came back to you at the end of all of it and I said, Michael, Verizon, let me show you and share with you just how well my company did. And when I look at conflict of interest in the dictionary, unfortunately, I realized it just hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> I sold them, I executed, and then I measured. There is something deeply unholy about that flow. Yeah, it's just like, mom, great news. I just graded my test and I got an A+. <laughs> 
though. Uh, I guess I do get that GI Joe after all, which is great for me. Yeah. That's a great example. By the way, I want to just put one more to make it a wholly parallel, a beautifully parallel reference would be you also concocted the questions for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and might I say it was a very hard and well put together test at that. So I just want to just sneak that one in there in the match phase. You did a beautiful job of match, maximize, measure. But we we actually, in many ways, it's a, I love your, your, your analogy, Michael, because I think the analog is so real. Now, of course, we are not the, the athletes on, on the field playing, okay? So we didn't go that far in its entirety. But mm -hmm. I actually believe that the, the ethical conundrum is very real to what you said. And, and how could I tell a brand, this is what you got, and I'm the one who did it. And, and I, I said, that's what got me into building this company at this time was I said, we've got to change the narrative. And it's got to go well beyond valuation. This is so far beyond valuation. This is about campaign ideation. This is about social impact and social responsibility. This is about immersive technology. This is about contract negotiation before you ever commit, way before you commit. How did you know it was the optimal fit to understand what you're getting into and what is the value generated going to be and that should be prescribable before you sign the dotted line of any contract. You should have some at least reasonable standard deviation to be able to know that space and not just rely on this intuitive, it feels right, others are doing it, therefore it worked for them. Well, that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of churn in this, this world. Absolutely. It doesn't mean it worked for them. Just because they're doing it doesn't mean it was optimal. We can't assume because for 20 years, X brand has sponsored X uh, uh, entity, X asset, X athlete, property. We can't assume that it was, that meant it was a success for that brand. What we can assume is that someone, number one, believes it's worth perpetuating. And is it worth perpetuating for good reasons or not good reasons? And, and, and that's not 100% to zero at all. Very often that can be, I'm the new marketing director, brand manager. I don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we're getting to the end of that sailing expedition that there's no longer the ability to just, just go on and perpetuate what was done because it was done. Yeah. I think this new world we live in that is changing by the hour, by the day is going to demand of all of us that we set aside our ego, set aside our personal perceptions, set aside what can be very, very seductive and misleading and yield not just to data alone, but to be able to go beyond data and have the data complemented with having my control of the sponsorship universe ecosystem controlled by me for the first time. Mm -hmm. That I on a dime could be in a brand management meeting and say, no, 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 we're not looking for that 38 to 48 year old upper, upper class, lower middle class African-American market in that particular city because we actually at Lexus sponsor the Black Panther and its sequel Wakanda. We're actually looking for this particular market in uh, uh, Miami, which is actually geared towards Latinos at a much younger age. And now being able to have your KPI but on a dime help you understand what might be your approach in choosing the optimal sports fit, 
-hmm. And then going from there to understand how do you get the most out of that relationship in a very positive way. And then going back to measurement, I do think just in closing on this question, that when you look at TV, web, and social, I think, I think we're there now. And I think it's getting very, very crisp, unlike anything in the past. In the old days, it was there was a dartboard behind you. You took a dart, threw it behind you, and if it stuck, your colleague screamed out, hey, that's 22 million for Lexus, okay? Because we yep. counted up the logos on a screen, and if it was one-eighth of an inch or one, 0.5% of screen size on the far left corner, but all mm -hmm. the action was taking place on the right. And the announcer was jazzing everyone up by looking at Federer's face, match point, Roger Federer. And that's off to the right. And there's a little logo of the brand, but they counted that 10, 15. Okay, there it came again in that same place. No one ever saw it. The ingestion of that was non-existent, but they counted 30 seconds. That's a 30 second ad. Let's give it that plus premium. The Certified ANA Marketing Professional, or CAMP, program is a rigorous 35-hour online certification program developed specifically with the ANA marketer in mind. Covering the entire marketing process from brand strategy and activation to marketing implementation across digital and analytic platforms, CAMP represents the full spectrum of the marketing universe. To begin your certification, go to ANA.net slash CAMP Future. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to pivot the podcast a little bit and ask some questions that we ask of all our guests. Now, this first one is open-ended by design. So, Steve, what are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. You should never have said open-ended, uh, number one. <laughs> I, I did tell you I used to be on the air four hours a day, five days a week. So <laughs> out of respect to your listeners. What are, yes. What are, your, what are the priority <laughs> thoughts that you have? So, so first of all, let me thank your listeners because you were so kind off air. You mentioned to me that you wanted this more as a free-flowing and not to get too academic and not to get too bullet one, bullet two, bullet three. So I like how we kind of flowed in and out of questions. We came back to them. And I think that was really beautiful because it, I think it made it very organic and very real and it wasn't prescripted. So thank you. Uh, number two, on, I, I feel so strongly about DEI that I had a piece that was published in the op-ed of the Sports Business Journal in December about uh, too big to opt, was Coca-Cola's World Cup sponsorship too big to opt out? Mm -hmm. And because they violated almost every single tenet of their philosophy and corporate vision that's expressed in their website as we speak about gender equality, about women's rights, about labor rights, about ageism, by putting their brand behind the, the World Cup in Qatar. It was, it, was, it was one of the greatest oxymorons I've ever seen, that you had a brand that has for so many years in this country been such a fighter for human rights, that at the end of the day, when it comes to sports sponsorship, and it's for another occasion if you're ever interested, but I talk a lot about um, the code of ethics behind sponsorship yeah. and, and how do you come off a run from Beijing, from what was in Russia for the World Cup um, prior to these games. So you went from the World Cup in Russia, you went to the, 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 the winter games in Beijing, and then you went to the World Cup of soccer to Qatar, Russia, mainland China, Qatar, Coca-Cola and other brands. While we have approximately 1 million Uyghur 
Muslims incarcerated in the West Coast province of China and Xinjiang. And you have two primary factories for Coca-Cola in Xinjiang with one of the fourth largest distributors of exporters of sugar in the world, Xinjiang, and where every single assessor of human rights violations uh, left, international assessors left the country because they were being shut out. But the head of human rights at Coke uh, before Congress had said, their assessor claims there are no human rights violations. But every other one left the country because it was under such horrific circumstances. So I believe very strongly in this um, for many, many reasons. Um, I think sports, if we bring it back to to my world and my worldview for your audience, which I think what we just talked about was very relevant. Um, but I think we're at a time uh, of an inflection point that uh, Paul Joy, the tragedy of, uh, 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 of George Floyd uh, was so enormous that while we were planning for it, not the tragedy, but for social impact and social responsibility to be more pervasive. And what does your sports uh, athlete team league or event or association or, or, or venue do for me off field, off track, off course? I want to work with you, but I have to have you represent more than just a game because it seems like life is far more precious than just a game. And that I should be able to easily thread this needle when I say easily, meaning that because of the unique essence and identity of a sports entity, um, again, they usually divide it between the five sports properties and the one athlete. So because of the incredible emotive essence or the human essence that there are human beings competing against other human beings, that essence lends itself very, very effectively to social impact and social responsibility. And every athlete and every participant, every team owner, every visionary who's behind this has a different view of what's important in that space of the DEI space. So what I have to also remember is that when I'm pursuing my sponsorship, I don't need to find a new charitable cause. I can go into and that's what, what we built in our platform is the ability to go into your own world of what have you already been sponsoring from a charitable standpoint, 501c3 standpoint. And let's find the right athlete team league association, stadium, venue, and event that has an association with one of your existing charities. And now since you're at the pre-contract phase, you haven't decided what to do because you're looking for an ambassador, a new ambassador. Mm -hmm. So let's find that athlete, male, female, you know, again, pro, college, et cetera eSport uh, as well. Let's find that best fit, that optimal fit. But I've got to put in my KPI now that I control through the technology, the ability to drive the deep sport brain, drive the output that says that was an, a very important consideration. That being able to reach K to 12 youth who are uh, uh, of you know Latino background, African-American background, that traditionally don't get the opportunity to play golf the way others do, or in the issue of pay to play, and this is very pertinent to Procter & Gamble's sponsorship of the MLS and, the, and how they made their decisions to be able to get away from pay to play of soccer. Because it's an expensive, expensive endeavor to become a good high school player mm -hmm. and ultimately get onto college or pro. So to democratize sport, which many people don't even know there's a, there are some issues in that. 
So I believe that sports is at a, at a unique juncture, a unique inflection point, that if you stop the train, sit back for a moment, and before you even begin to get involved in a new sponsorship, you can align with the best fitting sponsorship opportunity that matches your corporate philosophy, corporate visions, and your ultimate objectives within this very important space of DEI. I love that. I love that. And it's such a very thoughtful and comprehensive answer. And I do appreciate that, my friend. Thank you, Michael. All right. Now, sometimes this is the easiest question of the entire episode. And sometimes people need three weeks to like <laughs> stare off into the middle distance and talk okay. to themselves in the shower. Tee it up, baby. Tee it up and fire away. Let's go. Steve Feuerstein, CEO and founder of Sports Biz. What's your favorite album of all time and why? Okay, so this is the only compromising of my character that I, you don't listen to this, Michael. So <laughs> I, I have to say, my favorite is Up, I, Up at Night by Berber Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Word, yes, excellent. That's okay, so what I learned, folk, is that Michael, Oh in my goodness! To his expertise at ANA. Three years I've been hiding this. Go ahead. <laughs> and he is a professional rapper, and the group oh. is called BRBRCK. Berber Rock. His last name Berber Rich. Get it? Berber Rock. And his <laughs> latest album, Up at Night, has five really, really—I don't want to sound totally. Do I say hip? Cool? What do I say? Go for it. They're both of those things. So oh really God. awesome. Some really, really, really <laughs> awesome um, tracks on it, Up at Night, Berber Rock. So, so that I learned is one of my all-time greats, and I am looking forward to listening to it. But I got to give you a plug. Okay? Oh, my goodness. I, I truly appreciate that, Steve. I, I, that's really, really funny. We've gotten four years in, and now the secret is out. The secret's out. I have no, no, I have not. No, my okay. mom's favorite album's not even <laughs> up at night by Berberock. Okay. So by Berberock up at night. I, I think when I think about my favorite albums, and this is really maybe a reflection of how I've lived my life and, and my overseas experience. So I love language and I, I enjoy other languages too. So I have I have actually favorites by language and genre. Hmm. Um, so I, there are many Chinese classical singers that I love, um, Japanese music I enjoy greatly. Uh, Hebrew, I enjoy greatly. A lot of Spanish, I enjoy greatly. Uh, from Mon you know, Marco Antonio Solis to Jose Luis Perales. Um, I enjoy lots of different languages, but I, I would say if I, from my youth as a boy, if I really went back to something that's very visceral for me, and I like a lot of classical and jazz, so I think, you know, Die Moldau and Die Paterland by Smetna is definitely mm -hmm. up there, very, very mm -hmm. meaningful to me. Um, I would say if it had to be from my youth, and I was a byproduct of the disco era and the blues era and Motown, mm -hmm. I would have to say the 72 album that won the best lyrics album by the OJs called Ship Ahoy. Oh, yes. Let's go. <laughs> you the know first, it? Yeah, the, the OJs. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, but you know Ship Ahoy? Yeah, yes, oh, yes. Wow. I, didn't yeah. Think you would, I didn't think you would have heard. I'm, uh, my dad raised me on Motown, so okay. I am an absolute disciple. So I, I'd have to say another one, by the way, since you're so you know hip on, on Motown, I'd have to say would be Teddy Pendergrass is up there with me. Oh, my God. You know, yeah. just... And if you really want to get to the funk side, this is a shout out to my boys from Scarsdale, Dean, Hal, Kenny, 
Adam and Theo and a few other boys, we were really big on Johnny Guitar Watch, Watson. We were mm -hmm. big into punk at that time. So yes. we, we, got, we got really big into Rick James and, and a few. And I'll tell you, I'm not embarrassed to say this, so I hope no one laughs at me. But you know, an album I still, so I do a lot of technical mountain biking is my sport mm. of choice today. So you know what I do a lot? I listen to a lot of when I'm riding. I actually listen to a lot of Saturday Night Fever, the, the soundtrack. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With the the BPM. Yeah, it keeps you. Night, four on night. The, yeah. Four um, on the floor is great for working out. Unbelievable soundtrack. It's just, yeah. it is a killer soundtrack. So I enjoy it. I'd have just one more for you. I'd have to say that a big part of my life, and I still listen to this day, absolutely is Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Steve, we've got to have, so now we've got two other episodes for the Patreon. Where we just talk about <laughs> <to you. laughs> soul funk music and everything. Sure. Um, let's, let's wrap it up by bringing it up to the present. Um, what are you listening to nowadays, whether it's an artist, a song, a podcast, a book, what's got you excited nowadays? To answer your question, you know, with podcasts um, and, and I had the pleasure in a few weeks of launching one of my own, called The Transaction Report, which is about the business, sports, and sponsorship. Very exciting. Uh, I, I would have to say one that really affected my life, really really has added a lot of value to my life, um, is one that, while I'm in technology, and I've been, let's say, since 99, uh, this is real technology now. This is software development. This is artificial intelligence. This is from computer vision and, and, and object identification to all the way over to you know, deep neural networks and, and all aspects of immersive tech transformers and diffusion models. This is a fascinating world that we're in. So I went back to get a degree in, in, in data science from Northwestern University. And then just as I started and I was in the middle of one of my first classes, I got very severe COVID. And I got with uh, COVID brain fog for a while that just oh went on God. and on and on. So one that really made me feel good about that time I started was about three years ago. I got into a guy who's become a rock star, a true rock star. And I, I, it was a different name back then. It was called the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with Lex Friedman. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Then he changed it to the eponymous Lex Friedman Podcast. And I wrote him a note. I said, Lex, I've been in media for almost 40 years. Bad decision. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> so, so I wrote him, I said, Lex, own the AI space. This is perfect for you. No one else owns it the way you do. And I have met, I mean, I, there are, I mean, he's got, I was with him and I think he was getting 200,000, 70,000, 300,000 viewers per show. And he's now getting 4 million, 5 million, 3 million viewers per My show. Goodness. And he's, I mean, he has his, his access, his gravitas is, I mean, we had the CEO of Pfizer come on a year ago saying, my daughter, her son told me about your program, said, I have to appear. And it was oh, his Lord. first interview of substance of an hour in length. I think it was almost two hours was, was actually on Lex Friedman podcast. The other one was the, um, was the, uh, was it called the unique brain? I forget how the, the gentleman he's originally from India. Um, I know what you're talking about. I'm um, forgetting the name now. The Something Brain podcast. It was on NPR. He then, re, you know, took ownership of it. Um, but the, the, the Hidden Brain. Yeah, there the you hidden, go. Thank yeah, you. Good yeah. I thought he was excellent as well. I thought there are a lot that I think are not worth the time. But I think those two in particular, I think The Hidden Brain is a classic. And I think obviously if you want, he comes out with usually two shows a week, Lex Friedman. And they are, you walk away and say, I would never have understood that subject. 
And he's given me the opportunity to think, to think in a way of such beauty. It's such elegant thinking. It's so, it, you get sucked in. Because first you think he might be a, a, a high school kid who's at the mic. You think, is this really so? But he doesn't go to what so many others do. He doesn't have to use multisyllabics all the time. He's not, you know, I, I was raised differently. And he, he's much more of a concrete, simple, elegant communicator. And you walk away empowered. Well, I think I have my, uh, my weekend listening now because that is exactly <laughs> up my alley. Steve, this has been an incredible conversation. Uh, thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute joy having you on the Marketing Futures Podcast. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Futures Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us next week as we welcome Jill Kress, CMO of H&R Block, to the pod as a continuation of our Masters of Brandmasters series. The Marketing Futures Podcast airs Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the podcast, shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. We'd love to hear from you. And always, find what you need to future-proof your brand at ana.net slash futures. This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.